Andy's lesson. It was Leviticus chapter 11. It's verses 39 to 47. Now in case any beast that is yours for food should die, he who touches its dead body will be unclean until the evening. And he who eats any of its dead body will wash his garments, and he must be unclean until the evening. And he who carries off its dead body will wash his garments, and he must be unclean until the evening. And every swarming creature that swarms upon the earth is a loathsome thing. It must not be eaten. And for any creature that goes upon the belly, and any creature that goes on all fours, or any great number of feet of all the swarming creatures that swarm upon the earth, you must not eat them, because they are a loathsome thing. Do not make your souls loathsome with a swarming creature that swarms, and you must not make yourselves unclean by them, and actually get unclean by them. For I am Jehovah, your God, and you must sanctify yourselves, and you must prove yourselves holy, for I am holy. So you must not make your souls unclean by any swarming creature that moves upon the earth. For I am Jehovah, who is leading you up out of the land of Egypt to prove myself God to you, and you must prove yourself holy, because I am holy." This is the law about the beast, the flying creatures, and every living soul that moves about in the waters, and concerning every soul that swarms upon the earth. In order to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, and between a living creature that is eatable and a living creature that may not be eaten. It is good to be together today. I'm glad to be back home. I have missed you all, and I hope you all have missed us, uh, but we are back and ready to uh, have a great summer together. If you'll permit me, just a couple of housekeeping things. As you know, that uh, there were a lot of us that were at camp this past week. If you are interested in knowing more about that, uh, plan to attend the Camp Fellowship, which is uh, next Sunday evening following evening worship. There will be some more details about that, but uh, some of the things, some of the things we studied, uh, the tremendous job that our counselors and our children did uh, will be detailed there, and I hope that you'll make it a point to uh, plan to stay next Sunday evening. I want you also to realize that what's starting this evening, this very evening, is what's called the Sunday Sunday suppers. Um, the Meeks uh, have led the way, I think, in, in uh, planning these over the past, uh, well, skipping last year, the year before, and they were uh, really enjoyable. Reason is, is that I know that a lot of our kids are out of school for the summer, and uh, the parents like to have a little bit of time to plan to sit and enjoy one another's company, but there's not really an environment. For example, if me and my family were to go out to eat somewhere on a Sunday evening, and you get another family of the same size, you're talking about a group of 10 people. What Sunday suppers are designed to do is to get people together to be able to eat a meal together, so you either prepare one at home, which is probably more costly effective than going out to eat, or you can run and get some fast food after services or bring something or have pizza delivered or something after services and get together to enjoy a time where our kids can spend some time maybe getting up and running around a little bit and uh, burning off some energy that parents are trying to get the kids to burn off anyway during the summer, but also to give the parents a, ch a chance to, uh, to sit and visit. This is open to anyone. If you'd like to join us, please do. However, realize there's probably going to be a few small children that are going to be running around, so if that's not your thing, maybe make some other preparations. 
One other thing that's going to be happening this week, and I didn't see it in the announcements, but I do want you to be aware of it. On Thursday morning, I'm going to be starting a Bible class study that's called Teens and Tagalongs. Once again, for the purposes of our summer, uh, we've got a number of young people who are out of school and parents that are looking for something to do, and I thought, why not help our kids to get more in the Word of God and have a chance to get together and study? Now, that's the teens part of it. The tag-alongs is you all, okay? If you're not a teenage year, or of the teenage years, you are a tag-along. You are included in this. And I would encourage you that if you don't have anything to do it Thursday morning at 10.30 in the morning, come and join us for this Bible class. If you're going to include those tag-alongs that are younger than teen years, let me ask you and encourage you that... uh, the kids need to be able to sit and uh, sit still and, and have their Bible open because uh, Mr. Andy's not terribly good at, uh, at small child control, so just realize that. But we would love for you to come and be together um, for about an hour. If you are planning on coming to this, please let me know. We're planning on providing a, a lunch about 1130, but I'd like to know and just have a ballpark for the first a couple of times so that we can know how many to plan for. But if you'd like to be a part of this, we're going to do a Bible study. We're going to um, hopefully have a little bit of fun together in doing so, um, but that's starting on Thursday at 10.30, teens and tagalongs. If you're a teen or a tagalong, this is for you. We would love for you to be there. How many of you had a TV like this when you were growing up? All right, there are a number of hands. How many of you have never seen one of these before? (laughs) Maybe that's a more valid question to ask. You look at a TV like this, and when I was growing up, we had one that kind of looked similar to that. It was a little 13-inch, I think it was like a a pulse quasar or something like that. And my grandfather had the unique idea, uh, because he was always tinkering with things and trying to make things better, and he had this thing that was amounted to like a giant magnifying glass. He wanted to make it a big screen TV, and boy, I tell you what, he slid it in place that was just basically a magnifying glass that you put right in front of the TV, and it was awesome, provided that you were sitting in the right place, because you would sit way over here or way over here, you couldn't see the TV because the magnifying glass was magnifying like the the dials and the switches, but if you sat in this golden zone between uh, the place where it's uh, just like right here or right here, you would have a big screen TV experience, and I thought, man, this is awesome. This is great. And it didn't get very well a good reception. And you looked at the TV, and, but as we watched it, we thought that it doesn't get any better than this. Imagine God's people beginning their education there in Exodus chapter 12 and thinking about how God was beginning to teach them about who he was. And one of the very first things he did was give them the Passover sacrifice. As the children of Israel put the blood on the doorpost and during that 10th plague, the Israelites had the hand of God that passed over them that didn't require their firstborn to die. Can you imagine the Israelites coming out of Egypt and then crossing through the Red Sea and thinking, man, it doesn't get any better than this. And then as they sat there at the base of Mount Sinai and and began to learn what it means to become a holy people, And learn what it means to become God's special people there in Exodus chapter 19 as we talked about several weeks ago. Can you imagine them sitting there and thinking it doesn't get any better than this? But the question I ask is, how many of us today still have one of these TVs and watch it on occasion or watch it on a regular basis? You see, going back and looking at what the Israelites thought about it doesn't get any better than this is kind of similar to us looking back at the book of Leviticus. And even in just what Jeff read for us this morning from Leviticus chapter 11, you find your eyes beginning to glass over just a little bit and thinking about 
everything that they had to avoid and the things that they had to do via virtual, or the, via uncleanness and the things that would cause them to become unclean. And looking back at all those dietary restrictions and the laws and the sacrifices and the, and the behavior of these people, you're looking back and looking kind of like we look at TVs like this previously. It's kind of hard to watch. It's kind of hard to stay focused on because we're looking at it and saying, I'm getting lost in the details about what this is really all about. But friends, I want you to know that the sole purpose of the book of Leviticus is the same purpose that God calls us to today. You remember that's one phrase that was probably familiar in all of the dietary restrictions, all the things that, that uh, Jeff read for us from Leviticus chapter 11, that, that the people were not allowed to, to hold on to and catch bugs and, and, and do things with, with the flying insects. But there was one little part of that right towards the end. Did you catch it? God says, I want you to be holy, for I am holy. What Peter writes by inspiration in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15 and 16, is the same command. In fact, he pulled it all the way back here from Leviticus to talk about you and I and our behavior as Christians today. Be holy, God says, for I am holy. And even though we look at the book of Leviticus and many daily Bible readers and many people who purpose to go all the way through the Old Testament in a year or maybe as part of a reading plan have been derailed by the book of Leviticus because we look at the details and we say... I just can't get through it. I just can't watch that anymore because I know there are far more interesting things to read. Please understand, I'm speaking accommodatively. There are people that say I get bogged down in the details and I have trouble understanding what this pertains to. I want you to understand one word, holiness. God said, and as he's talking to these people, I want you to understand that what he's trying to instill in them is the understanding of being a holy People, If you want to take the title page of the book of Leviticus and find out a good summary word, God says, be holy. That's what the book's all about. How do I know that? In 27 chapters, 27 chapters of the book of Leviticus, the word holy is used 91 times. In 27 chapters, 91 times the word holiness or holy is used. There are words that are connected to being clean or being made holy or to cleansing. Those words are used some 71 times in 27 chapters. The word uncleanness or defiled are, are used 128 times in 27 chapters. God wants his people to understand something about holiness. We defined that several weeks ago as two things. Being separated from sin, from that which defiles, from that which is able to make us unclean. Separate from sin, but then devoted to a special purpose, that is to glorifying God. Holiness is those two components, being separate from sin and being devoted to the glory of God. And as we look at a picture of holiness... Even though we gloss our minds over and our eyes over at so many things that are here in the book of Leviticus, folks, there's no book more applicable in principle to talk about how you and I approach God today. When we look at Leviticus, it's going to teach us some things about what we need as God's people in order to be in his presence, in order to be in a right relationship with him today. Let me give you several things 
as we fly over this and do a bird's eye view of the book of Leviticus to understand our responsibility to be people who are holy because our God is holy, separate from sin, devoted to his glory. Number one, chapters one through seven have to teach us about sacrifice. Holiness involves sacrifice. There are two principles I want you to understand from chapters 1 through 7. The very first one is in all of these things where people are coming to worship and coming to sacrifice, they don't come empty-handed. They never come with nothing in their hands in order to bring to God. Holiness involves bringing something to God in sacrifice. Well, what did they bring? You find all the way through the first seven chapters different types of sacrifices for different types of things. Chapter 1 talks about burnt offerings. Here is an offering that says, God, I'm dedicated to you. God, I'm yours. I am devoted to you. And there's different types of uh, scenarios and different types of sacrifices based upon what it is that you're trying to communicate to God. There's a grain offering there in chapter 2. Here's a dependence offering. God, I'm bringing to you my first fruits. I'm bringing to you something that's, uh, that's part of my livelihood so that I show my dependence upon you. And there's a certain procedure for the grain offering. A peace offering, chapter 3. I'm going to celebrate a right relationship with God. I'm going to celebrate the fact that he and I are one, that I'm good with him and he's good with me, and that I can be holy just like he's holy. Here's a peace offering. When you get to chapters 4 and 5 and then chapter 6 and 7, you find a sin offering and then a trespass offering. The truth of the matter is, is that when we offer something to God, there are times, and especially when we stand in his presence, that we recognize, God, I haven't done what's right. I'm not who I'm supposed to be. And what God provides for those people during those offerings is this word, atonement. As you look through chapter 5 or chapter 4 through chapter 7, you're going to find the word atonement and it will be used to make atonement. And atonement will be made together with this one. We'll talk about this word a little bit more. I had a teacher a long time ago in school that said, Andy, you're mispronouncing that word. The word is at-one-ment. At-one-ment. That's the idea of what a sin offering and a trespass offering was, is that even though these people were, chapter 1, devoted to God, even though these people were dependent upon God, even though these people, chapter 3, were at peace with God, there were things that they did because of being human, because of having a fleshly side to them, because they're tempted by the lust of the flesh and the things that God has said no to, where they say, I have not done what is right. I need to come to God with a sin offering, with a trespass offering, so that we can be made at one or put at one atonement for my sin. The first thing that I ask you to remember about this is that we don't come to God empty-handed. Folks, when we come to worship, we bring certain things to him. I'm going to draw your minds back to the class that we did on Wednesday evening several weeks ago in talking about worship. And if you'd like to go back and rewatch that or watch that for the first time, please do so. 
Because as we bring our attention to God on days of worship, as we bring our money to God and our contribution as we uh, had just a little while ago, as we bring our remembrance in the memorial of the sacrifice of Jesus like we did a few minutes ago, and we bring our songs to the heart, we offer the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips, Hebrews 13 and verse 15. We're bringing things to God. We bring our prayers and our petitions to him. We bring something to God and we don't come to worship empty-handed. That's a principle of holiness. The second principle I want you to understand is how many of these things involve blood. The at-one-ment sacrifices, the atonement sacrifices involve blood. The second thing I want you to remember about sacrifice is this. Where sin is committed, blood must be shed. Where sin is committed, blood must be shed. Think about, think about blood as kind of a divine currency. And where you have created sin or where there's sin that's been committed, there's now a debt that must be paid. When somebody sins, something must die. That's the truth of the matter. When sin is committed, blood must be shed. Something must die for, and pay for that sin. What God accepted and what God put into place here in the Old Testament is this idea of blood sacrifice. He actually did it in the patriarchal age. We don't know a whole lot about it, but we know that Cain and Abel offered sacrifices and Abel's sacrifice was acceptable there in Genesis chapter 4. It seems like based upon the fact that it was a sacrifice of blood. There has to be blood to pay for the sin. Which leads us to the obvious conclusion we come to worship, yes, bringing our attention to the sermon, yes, bringing our money for the contribution as we're commanded to do, yes, bringing our songs, yes, bringing our prayers, yes, bringing our, our, our remembrance of the Lord's Supper. But folks, every time we come to worship, we come with the blood of Jesus. And we come with his sacrifice because he has paid the debt and he has paid for us. First Peter chapter 1 Peter says, Christians, I want you to remember you weren't uh, redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. You weren't bought back to have atonement with God. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of a lamb without spot. That was one of the requirements for the blood sacrifices in the book of Leviticus. Revelation chapter 5, you find that Jesus being pictured as or uh, described as the Lion of Judah. But John turns to see who it is that, that the, the, the person's referring to. And he sees a lamb that's been slain. John describes Jesus in John chapter 1 as a lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Why was it that a lamb had to be slain? Why was it that it had to die? Because of this principle that Leviticus establishes. Where sin is committed, blood must be shed. We come into God's presence, we need to have a sacrifice. Jesus came, and Jesus came with his own blood, Hebrews 9 and verse 12, not with the blood of bulls and goats, to make atonement for us, atonement, so that we could be forgiven. So God could look at us, covered in the blood of the Lamb, and say, we're good. We're good. Holiness involves sacrifice. Holiness, number two, involves a mediator. A mediator. What's required to make at one mint? <laughs> I thought about this illustration. It's the best one I got right now. I don't know if y'all heard about what happened to the Katy bus on the way to camp this past year. 
Um, last Sunday, they got on a bus Sunday morning. It was a big bus, kind of like what we got on. And their driver, there was some traffic there on I-10, and their driver was trying to avoid the traffic there going through Sealy. So the driver decides he's going to get off, and he gets on one of those little country roads. And we're talking about in a big, like, coach, like a, a massive bus, 40 or 50 passenger. I don't know what it is. But as the driver is going down this road, uh, there's another truck that's coming along back this way. And, you know, of course, we've had a little bit of rain. I speak accommodatively. We had a little bit of rain, and so the ditches were completely full of water. And the driver of this coach had to pull over to the side. And as he pulled over to the side, the bus just slid over in the mud. And the pictures are incredible. I mean, because the bus is leading like this, and there's wheels off the ground. And they ended up having to jump out the window on the side of the bus so that it wouldn't tump over. But I think about this, and I think, here's what's solid, relatively, the road. Here's this bus that's been pulled over in the ditch. And they had to wait there for about four hours, as I recall, in, uh, just in the burning sun, waiting for a tow truck to come along to try and pull the bus back up onto the road. They actually needed two tow trucks, and that was an extra hour or two, but uh, everything was okay, Everybody was, nobody was hurt, just a little bit sunburned. Here's the idea. This is what's solid. There has to be a tow truck sitting on what's solid, grabbing what's in the mud, and pulling it back to put back on what's solid. Here's God, what's solid, what's holy. Here's the people who are in the mud of sin and in the muck of their own disobedience and own consequences. What the priests did was to grab onto what was holy. And they reached down and they were able to make sacrifices for what was unholy, who were unholy. And they were able to pull, based upon their sacrifice, the people back up where they ought to be in a right relationship with God, once again, at one or atonement. Those priests had a responsible job to go act as a go-between between God and between man. They were mediators for God. And as you find what God had to do in order to create them to be mediators was he had to consecrate Aaron and his sons as priests. Remember that principle from several weeks ago all the way back when we first started talking about holiness. Whatever God touches is made holy, just like Midas. King Midas, whatever he touched turned to gold. God said, I'm going to put my approval on these men to serve as mediators. I need to put them on solid ground. They are consecrated. They are separated to me. That's what you find in Leviticus chapter 8. Is Aaron and his sons and Moses going around and putting blood on these men and saying, you're good. You're ready to serve. You're going to be an acceptable uh, uh, servant of the Lord to act as mediator, to grab between God and between man. But then you find also the place that they had to serve. Exodus chapter, or Leviticus chapter 9. If I said Exodus, I meant Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 9. Then Moses goes around and he consecrates, he separates, he sanctifies the tabernacle, ready for service with blood. Something very interesting happens there in Leviticus chapter 10. It seems like shortly after Aaron and his sons were consecrated, separated, and just after the tabernacle was fit for service, you have the two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, who begin to offer something that God hadn't commanded. Leviticus chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu go into the holy place to burn incense. And it was not an incense that God had ever sanctified or caused to, or had, had commanded to be offered. You know what happened? They paid for it with their lives. 
The Bible says fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. Look at Leviticus chapter 10 if you've got your Bible open. And notice the reason for why God said that that Nadab and Abihu needed to pay with their lives. Leviticus chapter 10, it says, God says, By those who come near me or by those who approach me, I must be regarded as, what's the word? It's verse 3. I must be regarded as holy. You do not have the right to come before me with anything that I have not commanded you. That is an important principle for us, folks. The purpose for the entire Old Testament is to look back and say God means what he says about holiness and about his people being holy, and he says what he means. God's not going to mince words with what's commanded and what's not commanded. God's going to tell us, this is what I want. Our responsibility as people is to adhere and hold on to what he wants and to come before him with what he wants. And then he goes through and begins to talk about the priests about them in their service and making sure that they are crystal clear on what it takes to be God's mediator. They had to be wearing the right things, wearing the right garb. They had to be offering the right things. They had to be holy themselves and make sure that they were not uh, uh, defiled. Once again, they had to be separate from certain things. They couldn't touch dead bodies. They couldn't uh, uh, do certain things. But then the reason why is, is because they needed to stay on the right ground. They needed to stay grounded where they were supposed to lest they be made unholy and be unfit to help the people as go-betweens, mediators. Consider for a moment, and by way of application, the New Testament teaching us that we have a mediator. We have a high priest. That's the entire thesis of the book of Hebrews is to say that our high priest, from the very downbeat of that book, is not up working constantly. He's not like these Old Testament priests bathed in a river of blood, so to speak, making atonement for these people day after day. And can't you imagine the people, the priests, and seeing old Joe come in here one day with a sin offering, then coming in the next day with a sin offering, and coming in the next day with a sin offering and said, old Joe, here you are again. All right, I'll help you to make atonement. I will make atonement uh, with God on your behalf. I'll go one more time as a mediator. What the book of Hebrews teaches is that Jesus made a sacrifice, not with the blood of bulls and goats, as we mentioned from Hebrews chapter 9 a little while ago, but with his own blood, he entered into the holy place once for all. And once he made that sacrifice, it was good enough to cover everyone's sin. And he finished his work and he sat down. What the Old Testament high priest and what the Old Testament priest could never do is sit down. Why not? Because there was always one more sacrifice to make. There was always one more thing to do in trying to bring these people to God. But what Jesus did for us and the greatness of his sacrifice is that his blood was good enough that it was once for all. His blood covers us. His blood makes us just like we ought to be. His blood provides at-one-ment, atonement. That's why the Hebrews writer, again, think about the New Testament book of Hebrews corresponding to the book of Leviticus. They have a whole lot of similar things to teach. That's why the book of Hebrews says, therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we can find grace to help and mercy in time of need. Hebrews 4 verse 16. You look at that context and the reason is, is because of our high priest. He was able to do that. And he was a perfect mediator. Why? Because he is God. 
John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. But John chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He knew what it was fully like to be God, but he knew what it was fully like to be man. You see, the men were coming up out of the ditch in order to try and mediate between God and man. Jesus came down from heaven to mediate between God and man. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful high priest. Number three, holiness involves personal devotion. I know some of you, you were thinking, oh, mercy, we're only on chapter 10, and he's going to take us all the way through chapter 27. (laughs) We're about to fly. You ready? Holiness devolves personal devotion, chapters 11 through 22. Personal devotion. People want to believe today, based upon the blood of Jesus, I can have fellowship with God any way that I want. If I'm living constantly in a lifestyle of sin, that's okay. God accepts me. If I want to live my life completely separate from the world and devoted in a monastery somewhere, then that's okay. When what really we've got to think about with regard to God and holiness is our own personal devotion. What does it look like for me as a person to be God's man? What does it look like for you to be God's man or God's woman? What does he want? He wants us to be personally devoted. This involves two things. Number one... Purification. Purification. There are things as God's man that I need to say no to. There are things that I need as God's man to consider whether or not this is something that Christ wants me to do as his servant. As a holy person, I can't just say, well, God's just going to accept me just as I am. We sing the song sometimes, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood is made for me. And God, you got to take me just as I am. There's a sense in which when we come to Jesus, we recognize we don't have any plea to say, I stand righteous, I stand right before God. God, you got to accept me because of all the good things I've done. When we come to God initially, we don't have any plea except for the blood of Jesus. But folks, if we're already made holy, if we've already become a Christian, if we have decided that we're going to follow Jesus and then been immersed into water for the forgiveness of sins, we cannot say just as I am anymore. Because my life is then devoted and saying just as you want me to be, that's what I want to try and do. Now, am I going to do that perfectly? Absolutely not. Am I going to make mistakes? The answer is yes. But the blood of Jesus is there for me to make at one minute with God. And you look at everything that the Old Testament people had to do. There were certain things that they could eat and certain things that they couldn't eat. What about a mother with her new child? There was a time of purification for the mother, and then the male had to be circumcised, Leviticus chapter 12. And that's interesting because when you get to Jesus going to the temple, and his mother and and Joseph there in uh, Luke chapter 1 taking Jesus to the temple, they were offering sacrifices just like what Leviticus chapter 12 was talking about. What about sores on a body? You know, priests, and part of their job, they functioned as medical examiners, Excuse me, Mr. Priest, I've got this new little lesion on my hand. It, it wasn't there yesterday, and it's there today. And what the priest would do is he would take the person, he would put him in quarantine. We know a little bit more about that than we care to in the past year, haven't we? Okay, we're going to put you in quarantine for 14 days, and then we're going to come back and we're going to look at it again. And I want to know if it's gotten bigger, if it's gotten worse, and if it has, then you're going to have to go back in quarantine. 
That was part of the priest's job. There were things that, uh, that, uh, that pertained to leprosy, uh, chapter 14. There were things with regard to how they treated bodily fluids. There were special garments for the people entering the holy place, the most holy place. What was the point? The point was that as God's people, as God's holy people, they had to be careful what they touched, how they behaved, because they wanted to be clean and behave in clean ways with clean lives. You say, well, Andy, is that part of what we do today? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, God says, come out from among them and be separate. Holy, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean. What's unclean? The things that might cause me to be defiled in living a Christian life. The second thing that it involves is not only purification, but also daily separation. Daily separation. Chapter 17 through 22. How do I treat blood? Oh, my son got a cut on his finger. How do I treat that? What about sexual holiness? Chapter 18. What about following the Ten Commandments? Chapter 19. Or separation from my idolatry or, or, or uh, other nations? How do I treat when my neighbor comes over and says, hey, I've got this new little idol. Why don't you come on over? We'll have supper and then we'll bow down to it. How do I treat that? There's a separation in there. What about the priest? Chapter 21. What about dedicating something special to the Lord? There's a process for getting clean, and there's a process for staying clean. All right, look up just for a second. Imagine, with all the nice rain that we've had over the last month, Sunday morning there's a big puddle outside. Sunday morning I get my, my son ready, and he's all dressed up in his new white suit. Don't ask me why he's got a white suit, but that's just the way it is, okay? He's dressed up, got his hair combed and everything, and as we're waiting to get ready to go to church, he decides he's going to go out there and roll around in that puddle, Nobody's ever done this before, I'm sure. He goes aside and he comes back in and he looks at me and I say, oh no, what's happened here? And we then go ahead and we, we hose him off and we launder the, the clothes as best we can. And then I, I, we set him there and we're going to finish getting ready for church. And he decides to go out and roll around in the puddle again. We've dealt with the symptoms of the problem, but we haven't dealt with the root of the problem. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And until we deal with the why, the how's not going to change, or how's he behaving? What God says is looking at yourself as a holy person, it's not just the purification, the getting clean, the getting cleaned up. But it's a matter of daily saying, I'm going to avoid that puddle. I'm not going to go back and roll around in that puddle. I'm going to conduct myself as somebody who's wearing a white suit. God may clean us up from our sin via the blood of Jesus. 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. God may purify us from all defilements that we may be a part of. But it's our responsibility to look daily and say, what things do I need to avoid? What things that will cause me to soil my garments? What things will cause me to get dirty? I want to avoid those things. And I want to stick with what I know he said. Holiness involves personal devotion. Last one this morning. We're almost there. Hang on there. It involves a humble dependence on God. Think where we've gone from the very beginning to the very end. We started with sacrifice. I need a sacrifice if I'm going to be right with God, if I'm going to be his holy person. I need a mediator who's going to offer that sacrifice for me to have at one moment. I need as a person to be personally devoted but I want you to know that I have a humble dependence upon God. I have a responsibility to trust in him. It's not separate from personal devotion. 
it's in conjunction with. And these last chapters, notice how many of these things have to do with these people putting their trust in God. Saying, God, I commit this to you. God, you say this, therefore I'm going to follow you because I know it's what's best for me. Holy feast days. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 4. He's going to talk about Sabbath. It was uncommon for people to stop working one day during the week. You mean you don't work 7, 24-7? You don't work every single day? No, sir. We have one day that our Lord, that our God has set aside for us to stop and to worship. Again, I ask the question, what do we think about Sundays? Is it just something that we get through worship and then we, we go on doing whatever it is that we want to do on, as if it were any other day of the week? Or do we view it as special, as separate? The Passover and unleavened bread. Imagine your livelihood depends upon your business. And God commands you three times a year, leave your house, leave your family, no matter where you are, and you come to the tabernacle there at Shiloh, and then later the temple at Jerusalem, and you come and you leave that business, you leave those contacts, you leave those people hanging so that you can close down for a week or cut more, depending on how far you had to travel, and come and offer to God what he wants. You think that was a sacrifice? You think that required and maybe caused somebody a little bit of indigestion, a little bit of GERD, you know, reflux, and thinking, man, i got to leave my business and I've got to leave my business for several weeks. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. But the truth is that being God's person, God said, you trust in me, I'm going to take care of you. Doesn't God tell us the same thing today? You trust in me, I'll take care of you. Pentecost, another one of the feasts, the traveling feast. The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles. Several of these are pilgrim feasts where they had to leave where they were and go someplace else and trust that God was going to work out the details. Why did they do that? Why did God command that? Because he wanted them to know it wasn't about their own goodness. Being a holy person means I trust and I lean upon God and I'm, I'm going to trust that he's going to take care of me no matter what. Is that what I have? Didn't Jesus say three times in Matthew chapter 6, do not worry. You seek after what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. And he says the Gentiles think about all those things. God takes care of the grass. God takes care of the flowers. Is he not going to take care of you? Oh, you of little faith. Why do we not trust in God? The answer to that is because I'm not pursuing holiness the way that I ought to. Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12 verse 14 God wants us to stop and take time to honor him and to remember him. And yes, I know that you have a rough day on Wednesday night or on Wednesday. And Wednesday about 6 o'clock rolls around and you're thinking, I just want to sit here in this chair and not do anything. When what God wants you to do more than anything is to trust in him and realize that you're going to be a blessing to somebody by being here on Wednesday evening. And somebody's going to be a blessing to you by you being here on Wednesday evening. And you're going to be better off. You're going to be more holy because you have come and sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his word and thought about how it means to be his servant. But sometimes we're not pursuing holiness the way we ought, are we? I think about the rest of this. Having a holy environment. Leviticus 24 talks about the people willingly bring olive oil for the light and the, and the uh, menorah and willingly bringing food so that the priest and his family could eat. You know what? It takes <laughs> tremendous faith sometimes to be a preacher of the gospel. 
because you're dependent upon the goodness of the brethren to provide for you the things that you need. When you think about the priest in the Old Testament, they were completely dependent upon the goodness of the people of God for their sustenance. And they were grateful for those things, just like I'm grateful for you. But then you talk about the joy of what God provides for his people. Every seven years, the people would rest from actually sowing and reaping. God said, every seventh year, you take off. Can you imagine taking off an entire year? God says, I'm going to take care of you. And then after seven sets of years, in the 49th year, on the 50th year, you have what's called the year of Jubilee. Now imagine this, your family's fallen on hard times, and you have sold yourself and your family into indentured servitude to a Hebrew, to a fellow Israelite. Because you can't pay your bills, your land, your property, your family is now serving this other family. In that 50th year, God provides for his people and says, in that 50th year, all debts are wiped away. And you who have sold your family into indentured servitude to this fellow Israelite, you get to go back to your land. That's your land again. Part of it was preserving the heritage of the people and and keeping people from monopolizing and, and capitalizing on the gains. But there was a sense in which everybody was saying, yes, where you had something to look forward to. And God provided that in saying, I will take care of not only the person who is in slavery, but also for the person who is the owner. Because that's quite a loss if you're talking about property. But there's a humble trust and dependence to say, I'm going to trust that God has the best. I'm going to trust in the hope that God gives. And Christians, God has given us a hope, a hope that doesn't disappoint us, a hope that we can trust in no matter what comes. And as we humbly trust and depend on him, as we humble ourselves and say, I'm just going to be his holy servant, separate from sin, devoted to his glory, I know God's got the best for me. Think about this, folks, about how God makes at the very end of this book promises and warnings. Chapter 26 and chapter 27, or 26 especially, follow the if-thens. If you're obedient, God's going to take care of you. If you are disobedient, God's going to punish you. If-then, follow it all the way through because it matters. And then finishing and talking about making vows to God. Why would I do that? Because I humbly trust and depend on him. Why would I devote myself to him fully? Because I want to be holy just like he's holy. And as you conclude this look, this brief look at this wonderful book of Leviticus, we look back and we say, it's kind of like looking and trying to watch TV on one of these old machines. And it's kind of difficult to make out the picture of what's going on on the TV. But what it ought to cause us to appreciate is the goodness of what we have in Jesus. Because you go back and you watch a TV like that, and you come back home, and maybe you've got one of these, I don't, but you understand that you come back and you say, wow, I have got something infinitely better than what was there before. It ought to drive us to our knees in praise of our God, that he still enables us to be holy, just like he's holy. But he enables us to be holy in a system that's far, far, far better than anything he had given to those Israelites. You see, Paul, in making his argument to the Galatians, said the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ, Galatians chapter 3. It was a schoolmaster. As those people were watching that TV, again, using our metaphor, and can you imagine some of them sitting, I wish we had something better. 
Can you imagine what it would be like if there was just one sacrifice, just one sacrifice that was able to cover everything? But until that comes, I'm going to continue to offer God the sacrifices that he commands. I'm going to continue to trust the mediator or the priest and support him in his livelihood. I'm going to continue to try and be personally devoted every single day, both in purification and in sanctification, making myself pure and continuing in that purity. I'm going to continue in my humble dependence and trust on God. And when Jesus came, I can't imagine what it was like for those early Jews who came out of Judaism and became Christians to say, praise be to God, one sacrifice for all. God wants you to live a holy life, Christians. God wants us to be separate from sin, to say no to the things that we're supposed to say no to, but also yes, the things that God wants us to say yes to, to follow him faithfully. Are you doing that? If not, we long to help you. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. God wants you to be more than anything else. So much so that he gave his only begotten son, the perfect lamb of God, to take away your sin and to take away mine. For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. You need his blood covering you. You need his sacrifice because right now you're standing unprepared before a holy God. And you do not want to be that because our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews chapter 12. But through putting your trust in Jesus in obeying the gospel message. We can help you to understand what that is and what God wants of you if that's your desire. Whatever your need is, won't you make it known as we stand and sing our invitation song.